scripture reading comes from the book of Matthews, chapter 19, verses 16 through 26. And behold, a man came up to him, saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these I have kept, what do I still lack? Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he, was, for he had great possessions. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. This is a reading of God's word. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that you've given us again to, to worship you, to sing songs of praise, to be able to, to read your word and to be thinking about what you have to say to us through your word. And we thank you for the privilege we have to be your people, to meet together as, as a gathering of your people to glorify your name. And we pray today that as we delve into your word, help us just to see more of you Help us to be convicted, encouraged, to be blessed, and help us to truly respond to you with worship, with faith, with commitment unto you. We thank you, and in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So today we're in a pretty, pretty well-known story. Uh, a lot of people call the story the rich young ruler or the rich young man. Uh, it's a story that's in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, they have different accounts, and in this story, you know, they don't even actually say the word ruler here. It's actually Luke that brings up that word. But we see, we see a man who is pretty, pretty respectable in many ways. Uh, he seems to be a man who is morally, um, seems to be somebody who tries to live a moral life, right? at least relatively a good person. He's rich, and uh, from you know, different, different, different gospel accounts, he seems like he has good standing uh, in, in, the, in the community. Uh, some scholars think maybe he was a synagogue ruler. And so he really seems like the type of person that if he came to church, right, that the church would really want to stick around. Right? He seems like the type of person that you want to say, hey, like, stay with us, be a part of our church, be a part of our community. And yet what we see in this passage, interestingly, is that Jesus actually kind of almost pushes him away. Right? Jesus, you know, Response to him, not meanly, but very honestly, but and in a way where this man leaves sorrowfully at the end of the story. And it's interesting because right before this passage in, you know, in chapter 19 of Matthew, these little children are brought to Jesus. And his disciples actually kind of rebuke the people and they kind of want to push the children away. But Jesus actually says, bring them to me. Where he wants the children to come to him. So the, 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 the kids that the disciples want to push away, he wants them to come. And then this rich young man who 
most people will probably think would be the perfect person that you would want coming to you, he actually kind of lets him walk away, right? I think we see here maybe, you know, the humility of a little kid versus maybe the pridefulness of this rich young man. And before we get into the passage and just the points and all that, I want to just think about the story a little bit and just imagine this, right? This young man comes up to Jesus and he says, what, must I, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? That's not necessarily a bad question. And this actually seems to me in this passage and in other gospel accounts that it is a genuine question. Sometimes when people ask questions of Jesus, they're trying to test him or trick him or things like that. Here it seems to be a genuine question. And Jesus has a surprising answer. Instead of answering the question, he says, why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. He's kind of already showing this rich man that your premise is not a good premise to begin with. And Jesus is starting to do a little bit of heart surgery. And we see more of that as it goes. And then he says, keep the commandments. Now, when someone says to keep the commandments, you might be thinking, oh, man, that might be hard to do. But this rich young man answers Jesus by saying, which ones? But he sounds very confident. And so Jesus says, you know, don't. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness. Honor your mother and father. You should love your neighbor as yourself. If you look at that carefully, what you're going to see is that's commandments 6, 7, 8, and 9, and then back to 5, and then he says love your neighbor as yourself. Now, if you know the Ten Commandments, if you've ever studied it, what we say is that the first four commandments is about loving God, and commandments 5 through 10 is about loving your neighbor. So what did Jesus do here? He gives the rich young man five through nine, by the second half of the Ten Commandments, which is love your neighbor, then he summarizes it by saying, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, these are hard commandments. Not easy to follow, obviously. And yet, what does this young man say? He says, all these I have kept. Right? There's no way he could have perfectly kept these commandments. And yet, he very confidently answers, I've kept them. What do I still lack? Now, you would think maybe Jesus would say, let me point out the flaws in your life, the things that you haven't kept. But Jesus kind of plays along because he's doing heart surgery here. And he says, okay, well, if you want to be perfect right here, which doesn't mean sinless here. The word perfect here means mature, complete. So if you want to be mature, if you want to be complete, if you want to be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor for then you will have treasure in heaven, and they come follow me. Just strong words. You want to follow me? You really want to know how to be perfect? Sell everything you have. Give it away and follow me. He can't do it. He heard this. He went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. He was rich. Now, before we judge this guy, just think about it for a second. Imagine you are really, really rich. You have millions of dollars in the bank, invested different places. And Jesus says to you, those millions, give it away. Go from millions to zero and come follow me. How many of us, let's be honest, how many of us would say, okay, Jesus, I'm going to give it all away, all this hard-earned money, all away, and I'll follow you. I think it might be a difficult thing to do for any of us, whether we're poor, whether we're rich. It's a difficult ask. And this young man, he heard it. He's rich. 
So he walks away, sadly. Then Jesus says to his disciples, truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. And then he gives an example. He says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Contrast. Camel is about the biggest animal you're going to see. Eye of a needle. But think about a needle. And think about the eye, the tiny little eye of a needle. I don't really sew, but I've tried to put either the string in the eye of a needle before. It's hard. You, know, you try to lick the string. You try to, like, stick it through. You know, you poke yourself sometimes. And he's saying it's pretty much impossible for a rich man then to enter the kingdom of God. So the, Jesus, the disciples are like, well, who can be saved? Because in their culture, they thought if you were rich, that you were blessed of God. You must have done something right with your life. That's why you're rich. You're blessed. And Jesus says, it's impossible. With man, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Now, what is Jesus trying to say here in this passage? There's three, three things I wanted to highlight. It's actually a lot here we could probably say, but three things. And uh, one, Jesus is not an add-on. Two, Jesus is not earned. And three, Jesus needs to be our treasure. Jesus is not an add-on. Jesus is not earned. And Jesus needs to be our treasure. First off, Jesus is not an add-on. If you look at the passage, if you look at verse 20, the young man says to Jesus, all these I have kept, meaning the commandments, what do I still lie? If you look at this passage, the flow of this passage, this is the vibe of this passage. This man, he's a rich young man, he's a rich young ruler according to Luke, rich, morally, you know, seems to be pretty upright in the eyes of the community, probably respected. He seems to think he has his life put together. He seems to think, um, you know, I'm rich, I'm moral, like, but, but there's something missing, right? There's something missing. I think I do good things, right? People probably look at me positively. I have a lot of money, I have a lot of possessions, but there's something missing, and I want that to be filled. Make sure I have eternal life. I think I have eternal life, but sometimes I have some doubts, and I just want to make sure everything is okay. And here, it's like an add-on, right? I'm, I'm doing all right, but I lack something. And I just want to add it on. What more do I need to do? You know, a lot of times for us, I think we're very similar. Our attitude is not, Jesus, you're all I need. We might sing praise songs like that. You're all I need, right? You're all that I want. It's all about you. But if we're honest, what do we think? I'm a pretty good person, right? I can take care of myself, right? I did pretty well for myself, maybe financially speaking, relationally speaking, right, in terms of status or whatever else. And so I feel like I'm doing okay, but I just... I'm missing something. And so I just need Jesus to kind of fill my heart in a sense, to kind of complete me in a sense. But, you know, five, six days of the week, I don't even really think about Jesus that much because I think I'm doing all right. I don't know if I really even need him, but that sometimes that something's missing, so I kind of need to add on, make sure I'm not lacking anything. And so I have my life, and Jesus is kind of like an add-on to that. And we treat him that way. But we don't think about him a lot of times. Sometimes we think about him, on Sunday, a couple of hours, and then the rest of the week, he's not even in the picture, right? Because he's just an add-on. He's not somebody that I really, he's not somebody that really transforms my life. 
And the first thing I want to say here is Jesus is not an add-on. For this rich young man, he should not have been an add-on. And for us, he is not something that we add on where we just feel like we're lacking something. He needs to take over all of us, all of who we are. And, you know, he's, Jesus pretty much says that. He says, give up everything. That's the reason he says that. He's pointing out, you, I'm not something you add on to your life. I have to be your everything. And we'll get more into that. But secondly, Jesus is not earned. We can't earn salvation. We can't earn Christ. We can't earn eternal life and a relationship with Christ through our good works. The whole premise of this passage is actually wrong because how does he start? He starts by saying, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? It's about me. What do I have to do? So then when Jesus actually kind of already sets him up, he says, don't talk to me about good. Right? There's only one who knows good. Only God is good. But you got to keep the commandments. And what is this guy's attitude? Which ones? I kept them all. Which ones? And Jesus kind of tells them, five through nine. I don't know if you notice this. He gives them, honor your parents, do not murder, do not steal, do not commit adultery. He doesn't give them ten, which is do not covet. And I think he did that for a reason, to highlight, because this rich young man probably did covet a lot. That's more of a heart issue. But he gives him actions, honoring your parents, do not murder, do not steal, do not commit adultery. And what does this guy say? He says, he says I've done these. Now, there's no way that this rich young man has kept all the commandments perfectly. But he seems to think he has. He seems to think that he can. And he seems to think, if I do the right things, enough of the right things, I can somehow earn eternal life. It kind of actually reminds me of, you know, the Christmas song, Santa Claus is Coming to Town. I don't like that song, right? And because I actually think that song, if I thought about it, it's not a very gospel-centered song. Let me explain why. That song is all about you better watch out, right, because you got to do a lot of good things, the Santa's going to give you good gifts, right? If you don't do good things in a sense, he's not going to give you good gifts. So it's, it's all about this works righteousness, right? I got I to gotta make that list better. And the better the list, the more chance I have of getting something. And to be honest, I think a lot of us, if not most of us, we have the same attitude. Maybe theologically we know, for by grace you have been saved. It is not by works, right? So no one can boast. It's by grace through faith. Maybe we know that theologically, but practically in my daily life, maybe I think if I do enough good things, God's going to owe me, right? If I give enough money to the church, right? If I'm nice enough to people, maybe if I share the gospel, maybe if I serve, maybe if I read my Bible, maybe if I do this, if I do that, and if I do enough good things, God owes me these blessings. God owes me eternal life, which is why when bad things happen to me, what do I say? God, how dare you? How could you let these things happen to me when I've done all these things for you? We have a list. And we want to Make that list better for me. And there's a sense where we think I can earn God's favor. I can earn eternal life. I can earn, I can earn. And this rich young man, he thought he could earn God's favor. He could earn eternal life. And he thought maybe I've done a lot of good things, but I need to do a little bit more. What more do I lack? He's thinking it's all about me. And Jesus wants to show this man, no, no, no. You cannot earn eternal life. You cannot earn God's favor. Why? Because all of us, the Bible is clear, 
have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I am not good. There's no one that is good, which is why we need a Savior. Jesus didn't come into this world at Christmas. He didn't go to the cross and die because we could do it ourselves. No, why did Jesus come into the world? Because he knows that we cannot save ourselves. We cannot earn eternal life. And we need a Savior. We need someone else who could do it for us. And that is who Christ is. He came into the world to live the life we could not live, to die the death that we deserved. And it is only in Christ, through Christ, that we are forgiven and saved. That is the gospel. That is the good news. And Jesus wants to show this man, to show us, I cannot earn my salvation. I cannot earn eternal life. I cannot earn. I cannot do enough good to earn God's favor. God has favor on me because what Christ has done for me and because I'm forgiven and because Christ is in me and because I have the righteousness of Christ clothed on me. When God looks at me, he sees Christ. He sees this beautiful child. All because of Christ, I can't earn it. So, Jesus is not an add-on, and he's not earned. But what does he need to be? He needs to be my treasure. And that is why Jesus says in verse 21, if you would be perfect, go, sell, what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Now I want to point out something here. Sometimes people look at this passage and they think, oh, money is bad. You can't have any money. You got to give your money away. And I would disagree. I mean, nowhere in the Bible does it say you cannot have money. You can't earn money. You can't I mean, if you look at, especially in the Old Testament, you have people like Abraham, very rich, David, Solomon, and even in the New Testament, you never see Jesus telling anybody else, give away everything. He never does. Even if you think about Zacchaeus, right, the tax collector, and he says, I will give half my goods to the poor, that's not all of it, that's half. And so why is it that this man, why is it to this rich young ruler, Jesus says, give away everything? Why him? And it's simple. Because for this rich young man, his life was all about money. See, money in and of itself doesn't have to be a bad thing. We need, everybody needs money to get what you need. But what is money to us? What is my possessions to me? Is it a means to an end? Or is it my everything? And I think the implication in this passage is that for this rich young man, being rich, his possessions, it is everything. It has become what we will call his idol. And so Jesus is saying this, you want to follow me? You want to truly be my disciple? Right? You want eternal life? You want to say, it's all about God in a sense? You say, you can't do that while you're worshiping God. Your riches, your possessions, your money. He said, you can't. As he says in Matthew 6, right? You can't serve both God and money. You got to love the one and hate the other. You got to choose one. And he's making it crystal clear. You want to follow me, the thing that has you in your grip. You got to let it go and follow me. I have to be number one. I have to be your 
treasure. It's not just what the money in and of itself, it's what that could provide for me. Maybe riches is my comfort. Maybe money gives me status, right? Maybe money gives me security, whatever it represents. But the point is that Jesus is saying, I have to be your treasure. I have to be your ultimate comfort. I have to be your ultimate riches. I have to be your ultimate security. I have to be your ultimate everything. And that's what being a Christian means. He's not an add-on. I do everything I got to do, and then just kind of put him at the end. Right? I don't earn my way to Christ, because Christ has done it all for me. But if I'm saying I'm a child of God, what, it's, what that means is I'm saying, Jesus, you are my everything. You are my treasure. Now, that's a question for us. Question for me, question for you. Is he my treasure? When I think of the thing that's most important to me in my life, the thing that gets my heart pumping, is it Christ? Or is it money, family, my job, my school, my friend? And we can fill in the blank. What is it? That is truly my treasure. And Jesus is saying, you want to follow me? You want to be my disciple? Then he's saying, don't just kind of stick me at the end. Don't think you do whatever you want. And then just kind of like, no. He said, your life has to be transformed. Give up your possessions because that's got you in your grip. Let that go and cling on to me. But you know, that's hard. He can't do it. That's why he walks away. And that's what Jesus says. You can't do it. It's like a camel going through the eye of a needle. It's impossible. So how can I, how can you, how can we truly say to Jesus, you are my treasure? How can I do that? How can I not be like this young man that walked away, but how can I cling on to Christ and give up if need be? whatever it is I'm clinging on to, and say, I want to follow you. And ultimately, he has to be better. Right? He has to be more beautiful. When I look at Christ, sometimes what do we see? We, we look at Jesus and we think, oh, I have to do this. Oh, I don't want to do this. Oh, I have to give up this. I don't want to give up this. And Christianity, what happens? It becomes a drag. It becomes a duty. It becomes forced. I don't want to serve. I don't want to give my tithe. I don't want to give my time, right? I, I want to do something else on a Sunday. I want to give all my energy to this or that. And we just kind of... But what Christ wants is for us to look at him and be like, I don't want anything else more than you. Why? Because you are more beautiful, because you are better, and there is no one and there is nothing else I want more than you. But he has to be my treasure because he is truly, truly better. You know, we think about the gospel message, passages like Romans 5 8, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We think of John 3 16, right? The most famous verse, but God so loved the world. Right, for God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son 
that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. You think of 1 John 3, 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And really what it is is this. I have to see how much better Christ is compared to anything else that this world has to offer. You know, my, my daughter's birthday was late December, and so, you know, we just had her birthday, obviously Christmas and all that, and as, when her birthday rolled around, I was just thinking back to when my wife was pregnant and when, you know, we were about to have our first child. It was like a very exciting time. But I remember for her, it was also a difficult time because the pregnancy was, was pretty tough. And I remember a couple of memories I had. One was driving, you know, in, together for a couple of hours, and, you know, Harold would get really, really nauseous with the morning sickness. And I remember sometimes she would just tell me, I can't make it. And, and, and you know, um, I think it's policy, it's part where there's like this hill. And I remember every time we went on that hill, she just wanted to, like, throw up. And I remember just thinking, oh, I feel so bad for her. And I remember her waking up in the middle of the night sometimes, waking me up, because she's like, I'm in so much pain, do something. And I'm like, I don't know what to do. And I remember just thinking all these memories. But I remember this, I remember this. I remember thinking every time I saw her really nauseous or in a lot of pain, I remember thinking, man, I wish I could take her place and be nauseous and be in pain. Right? Because obviously you love somebody, and when you see somebody in pain and sick and miserable, it breaks your heart, and you want to take their place. But here's the thing. I couldn't. I couldn't take her place. And so even if I told her that, it was only words. And I remember, fast forward a couple of years, when my daughter, uh, when she was like two years old or so, she got this thing called EKC, right? Uh, some kind of pink eye, conjunctivitis, but it's like the worst kind. And it was so bad that she couldn't open her eyes for like three days. And the eye doctor told us that she might actually have scarring in the cornea and that, you know, it might be an issue. And I remember I was really scared. I remember thinking when I was looking at my daughter for like three days, she couldn't open her eyes because she was in so much pain. And I remember just, again, just heartbreaking, right, because somebody that you love so much. And I remember, again, thinking the same thing. I wish I could take her place. I wish I could be the one that has to close his eyes because I'm in so much pain, I can't even open them. But again, what happened? I couldn't do it. I couldn't take her place. I'm not capable of that. But I look at Jesus. He sees us in our need because of our sinfulness. Nothing he did to us because of our own sinfulness. He knows we're destined for hell. We're destined for condemnation. And he chooses to come into this world and to die for sinners like us. And then, not just to risk his life, but to literally, to give his life, to take our place on the cross, to do what no one else could do. He pays the penalty for our sins, dies the death that we deserve, goes through the hell that his people deserve because of his great love. And when we think of that Savior, and we hear him saying, treasure in heaven, give up the things of this world, the things that are gripping you, that are mastering you, that you think this is all you need in your life. He's saying, give that treasure up. Because moth and rust would destroy that one. But your treasure in heaven is Christ. 
his forgiveness, his love, our relationship with him, eternal life with him, our home in heaven with him. Saying that's what you need. Treasure me. Because you know, Jesus is pretty much saying that we are also his treasure. And he died so he could spend eternity with his people. And so my hope and my prayer is that as we think about how beautiful our Savior is, he who gave his life for sinners like us, that he will be our treasure. And unlike the rich young man who walked away from Jesus, we would actually cling on to Christ and say, I want to live my life for you. I want to worship you, and I want to follow you as your disciple. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for you are so good. We thank you for the cross. And Father, we see in this story, this true story, this rich young man who couldn't give up his possessions because they were too precious to him. But for us, Father, we pray that the most precious thing will be Christ because we know how good he is, how much better he is, that as we look to Christ, we will be able to say, you are my treasure, and I want to live my life for your glory. We want to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. We thank you, and in Jesus' name we pray.